Welcome to the MMA Formula Podcast. Here's your host, Grindemir. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. This is episode two of the MMA Formula Podcast. Now, we will talk about uh, Khabib versus Gaethje on the, this episode, and I'll also talk a little bit more about one of the MMA principles that I use as a coach. Now, first things first, if you want to support the show, obviously you can you can uh, hit the like button, subscribe, share it with people who might enjoy it as well. That would be great. That, that helps out a lot. And also we've got the Patreon with a bunch of unique content that is only available there. That's patreon.com forward slash MMA formula. So feel free to take a look around there, see what's there and, um, and join us. Right, let's get right to it. So, um, Khabib versus Gaethje, what happens? Well, first things first, I have a few knockout analysis videos on YouTube already about that card. So I'm not going to repeat that here uh, in too much detail. The links are in the description of this podcast episode, so check that out. But um, I will mention a few. So th- the first one, uh, Robert Whittaker against Jared Cannonier. That fight was a little bit disappointing for me because I I had uh, Cannonier as the guy who win that fight. Now, he didn't fight poorly at all, but um, I heard afterwards that apparently Whitaker broke his arm uh, in the first kick that he landed on Cannonier. So Cannonier was basically fighting with, with a broken arm. Uh, so we can forgive him for, for not doing as well as he would have liked to do. But I like that style matchup a lot. Cannonier's come a long way. If you look a little bit into his history, I mean, he was a lot heavier at first, and then he, he really got ripped, got in shape, and, and his striking in particular got a lot better over time. So uh, I thought it was a really good matchup for Whitaker, who has this kind of lightly unorthodox way of striking. He likes to lean forward a little bit with his upper body and head, exposing it pretty heavy on that lead foot. But then again, his footwork is uh, pretty fast. He likes to blitz in and out. And uh, he's got some sneaky tricks up his sleeve. And, and one of them he likes to pull, which he did again here multiple times against Scannoneer, is that he likes to throw that, that back leg run or kick to the head. Now, he does it in two ways. He does it with a full hip rotation or with a half hip rotation, depending on the distance. And Scannoneer was on the receiving end multiple times, and uh, he, he blocked well. But um, even if you block those kind of kicks, again, this isn't Muay Thai. You don't have big boxing gloves. You have really tiny MMA gloves. So the, the, the glove itself doesn't protect you all that much. So it's a, it's a pretty hard kick to take if it's done with a fair amount of power. And there actually, there was a fight a while ago where this uh, one guy blocked a high kick in the cage uh, with just one arm. And his arm snapped in half. So his forearm was completely broken because the other guy kicked so hard. It has to do with how you block the angle of his forearm, the angle of the kick, and so on. But, you know, it's like uh, somebody swinging a baseball bat at your forearm. It's not surprising that it doesn't, it doesn't last all that long. So in this case, Whitaker apparently landed a kick really well and then uh, destroyed Jared Cannonier's forearm. But back to that high kick. What he likes to do, Whitaker, is set up um, either it's 1-2 or sometimes 1-2-3. I, I think I've seen him do just with a single punch, but usually there's a combination where, for instance, he does jab cross and then rear leg roundhouse kick to, to the head usually. Uh, 
Now, depending on how the the fight goes, what distance he's at, the timing and so on, he typically leans over to the side away from the kick as he punches and then stays in that slightly leaning forward and sideways position as he fires off the kick. Now, he can do it two ways. If he's close, what he does is he fires mainly the leg. There's very little hip rotation, which usually is not how you do the roundhouse kick. However, he's got a really great angle, so he tends to come sneaking up underneath the guard, and all of a sudden you've got this uh, ankle or foot in your face from Whitaker. He's quite good at that. But if he sees as he is punching that the guy backs up or um, he hits him and his head goes back, Whitaker is perfectly able to fully rotate on his support foot and then fully rotate his hip into the kick and go for maximum reach with that with that technique. So I did that really well against Kananir several times, and and um, I liked that a lot. So I was, I was curious to see how he would do against Kananir, who tends to have uh, pretty good striking, in my opinion. Again, like I said, he's come a long way. But um, we'll never really know what the full fight would have been like if Kananir wouldn't have gotten injured. So despite that injury, he fought, he fought well, but... Leaves a little bit of a, of a bitter taste in the mouth when you watch that fight because it could have been so much better. Because uh, for sure, Cannonier had his moments, did some good stuff, uh, landed a few good leg kicks and so on. But in the end, Robert Whittaker deservedly uh, got the win. So no complaints on that front. But, you know, I missed my prediction due to injury, so I'm not feeling all that bad about it. Then move on to Volkov against Harris. Uh, this is one one of the fights that I have a, a KO analysis on YouTube about. Pretty good fight, despite that I don't really like Volkov as much as as, uh, as a technician. Um, he's a really tall guy, and he's a little bit stiff in the way that he fights against it. There's nothing wrong with that per se. It's just that that's a personal personal preference of mine. I prefer guys who are really good technicians and move fluidly, but he was effective. And Harris had a, had a bunch of really good moments. And uh, when he was pressured, he uh, there was this one instance where in which he he got pressured by Volkov uh, striking, and then Harris just fought fought himself out of that, and he just uh, didn't back down and was aggressive and and fought his way clear from that pressure. So that was really well done. But then we get to the end that. Um, that snap kick to the diaphragm that just basically nailed him and and uh, and it was pretty much all she wrote. I mean, just the follow-up from Volkov was just, uh, you know, just a few punches and it was over. But basically, Harris got, got caught out uh, when it comes to timing and distancing. Again, go go to the, to the YouTube analysis that I did, just a small mistake on his part. And then Volkov actually being smart and using his reach excellent uh, in an excellent fashion. If you if you want to see more of um, how tall guys can use their push kick or their snap kick, look up some of the older fights of uh, Sam Schilt, the Dutch K1 fighter. He, he did some um, some MMA as well, if I'm if I'm if I'm not mistaken, because it's been a while. But he used his push kick, especially with his lead leg, uh, very effectively. He would use it as a jab. And, and keep guys at a distance. But because he's such a tall guy and obviously a heavyweight, I mean, that leg, even if it's not the fastest kick coming at you, he could nail you with it and, and push you back and, and uh, slowly wear you down by hitting the body that way and then, uh, and then use his striking effectively. 
So uh, check, check out SamShield and you can uh, see the comparison to the way that Volkov uses Pushkick really well. And then we get to the main fight. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was disappointed in what Justin did. It, it's not that he he is a bad fighter, quite on the contrary, but in his last few fights um, against Donald Cerrone, I mean, he, he used a lot of good footwork, good timing. The, the fight against Tony Ferguson was, in my opinion, brilliant in the way that he used his footwork and his timing and his counterpunches in, uh, in particular, but also his offense was a lot more measured. And you could hear his coach Trevor Withman telling him, hey, take a little bit off the techniques, don't go for the knockout punch, a little bit less power and more precision and speed and so on. And it worked wonders. Now compare that, Justin Gaethje, to the one you saw in the first round against uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. And we saw the wild man again. Not as bad as it used to be, but he was just out of control. He was out of control and swinging for the fences and, and doing a little bit of a bizarre kind of footwork, head movement, fainting, faking. I don't know what I, I need to call it, but very uncharacteristic from the way he normally fights. Now, was that on purpose? Was that just a stress of the moment? I have no idea. But the point is that he, he didn't fight as effective as he could. Now, he had some good moments. Again, rewatch the fight and you'll see that he lands a few uh, leg kicks, he lands a few punches as well. And when he does so, he, he either stopped Khabib for an instant or he backed him up a little bit. And that's what you need to do with Khabib. And I'll talk a little bit on, on how I think people could have beaten him. Again, he's, he's retired now, so it's a moot point. But despite that, um, it's an interesting discussion just uh, just on a technical level. So Khabib did what he did. Um, he he managed to get the takedown, and then I mean, you guys saw it. He was uh, all over Justin, and and Justin pretty much didn't stand a chance um, once Khabib got him on the ground. Now, again, all all respect to Justin Gaethje for you know taking on Khabib because we know that he's a he's an excellent grappler and so dominant once once he gets you down. But I think he could have done better. And in the second round, we saw a little bit more what he needed to do. It was a little bit sharper, had some good footwork. Uh, in particular, that one time that Khabib uh, just basically launched himself forward with that knee and Justin just spun around and spun away from it and immediately got back into the on-guard position. So that's an example of some of the things that I was hoping to see a lot more of. If you would have seen more of the footwork that he did against Tony Ferguson, I think it might have been a very different fight. It is what it is. Um, Khabib got the win and very much deservedly so. I mean, there's there's no question that he dominated and that he uh, he he beat beat Justin. There's no discussion possible. And I wasn't surprised, but it's a little bit sad to see him go. We've got an extremely dominant fighter uh, in the UFC with Khabib Nurmagomedov, and then you know he, uh, as he explained, with the death of his father. And as he promised his mother that he'd stop fighting, he left his gloves in the ring. So I doubt he will come back. Some people speculated already that, you know, it's just a thing. He'll be back in a year at latest. I don't know. Khabib strikes me as a guy of, who is very principled. And like he said, you know, he gives his word. So when he gives it, he keeps it. So I very much doubt 
that he would uh, go against the wishes of his of his one remaining parent when he promises clearly that this is his last fight. So, sad to see him go. On the other hand, we had a bunch of interesting fights from him and just, you know, ending his career at the top, top of the game, champion, defeating Justin Gaethje, the, the top contender in, in the weight class. I mean, what more can you ask for? So hats off to Khabib and, and I hope uh, he has a well-deserved rest and lots of success in whatever he wants to do next. And that brings me to the next point. So how to beat him? And a lot of people have talked about it. So uh, I'll just give you guys my thoughts and explain why. Obviously, we will never know. So that's one thing. And second, no one strategic plan that you make is going to be perfect or is going to be necessarily all-encompassing. It needs to be adapted on the on the moment itself, in in the fight itself, when things change and are not the not the way you anticipated they would be. Well, then you have to adapt, and that's why nowadays many modern uh, MMA fighters they have several game plans, uh, plan A, B, and C, so to speak, to. Um, to basically be ready for whatever the opponent might do. They have a main game plan, and then they have some backup game plans should the fight be different from what they expect. And I think that's a good good approach. But when it comes to Khabib, there are some fundamentals. So the first thing is that you know he's going to want to take you to the ground. The only real exception was his fight against Alia Quinta, and I think that was just him, you know, getting some practice in for his stand-up, because he knew that uh, uh, Quinta wasn't wasn't really going to beat him up and, or knock him out, and he knew that he could handle him on the ground. So he was just doing doing a little bit of a show and getting some free training in. Um, but other than that, we've we've consistently seen him take people down on the ground and just beat the crap out of them. So how do you handle that guy? Well, first things first, you have to understand that you know that he's going to. Um, eventually probably get you to the ground. It's very unlikely that you will not end up on the ground. So starting from that, we have to extrapolate a little bit on all the past performances that you've seen him do against other fighters. What that means is that everybody who backs up against Khabib goes to the ground, period. You can't outrun him. He's very happy to just chase you down and, and sprint forward until he gets a hold on you. And if you have to fight on back foot, that's extremely difficult, especially against a guy who's so explosive in his shoot uh, when he goes for the takedown. So that doesn't work. The one thing that I've consistently seen that does work against him is what you've seen sporadically when fighters do it. Justin Gaethje had it in his fight. And for instance, uh, Edson Barbosa had his had it in, in just in, in little bits and pieces throughout his fight. And the main thing is you have to stop him cold with raw power. Uh, Barbosa at a certain point just body kicked him, and Khabib stopped in his tracks. And that's what you need to do. Justin Gaethje landed a few punches, um, some leg kicks, but mainly with his punches he would slow down Khabib's advance and the way that Khabib likes to stalk people and put a lot of pressure on them because they know that the takedown's coming and he needs to be in range. They also know that his, his striking has improved a lot, so you don't want to eat his punches too much. But the main thing is that he wants to come in range to, 
to uh, take you down, well, you have to stop him from doing that. Now, if you do it with techniques that are too light, it's not going to work because he will just ignore them and, and blast through. If you put everything in the kitchen sink in your techniques and you miss, you'll be completely off balance or out of position and you can still get that takedown. So what to do? My opinion, the best solution that there was, was to body kick him to death. Meaning that you body kick him, not necessarily with the purpose of hitting the body, but with the purpose of slowing him down forcing him to stop advancing constantly. Now, the type of body kicks that I'm talking about is what you see in Muay Thai, where they, what they call uh, cracking the shell. Uh, a good example of that is uh, Yotsan Klai. If you look up Yotsan Klai, he was famed for his body kick. His left kick was, uh, I mean, he, <laughs> you, people stopped blocking <laughs> because it was so damn powerful. So that's something that I think could have been an option against Khabib and for several reasons. So, First reason is that depending on how you throw the body kick and with a little bit of angling, this could have worked just fine. Uh, he needs to get past that incoming kick to get the takedown. To get his takedown, he needs to lower his center of gravity, bring his head down, which means that his head will be in the path of that body kick if you angle it correctly. So that if he takes that body kick on the way down, that's a head-on collision, literally so that then he risks getting knocked out. So that would make it more difficult for him to just shoot in with the takedown whenever he would whenever he would feel like it. So that is one aspect of it. The second aspect is that it stops somebody in his tracks. Now, we, again, like I said, watch the fight with Edson Barbosa. He had that literally happen at one point where he put a kick really hard, and Edson's uh, kicking techniques are quite good, and Khabib just stopped in his tracks. He couldn't advance. And that's the moment when you reset and immediately attack him to get him on the back foot. Now, I saw Justin Gaethje in his training, and there was this, this short video clip where you could see him um, just doing a step forward with a, with a hand combination and take a step back. And as he steps back, he throws another hand combination and, and so on. And that way, he basically goes forward to attack steps back and as he steps back he waits for his opponent to follow him and the opponent runs into the punches so that's what i mean with an attack and then immediately a reset to be in position to strike again as opposed to what a lot of guys do is that they attack they take a step back and they need a bunch of steps or some footwork to reset prime example once again edson barbosa Notice how he does all that fancy footwork, skipping around with his feet and so on to reset. And it takes a lot of time for him to actually get back into a stable fighting position after he fires a technique. He didn't get that time against Khabib. So that's one of the key ways that you can, you could, in my opinion, go after Khabib is, is stop him with that body kick, take away uh, or add danger for him to ignoring it and going for a takedown. Again, his head's in the path of your body kick if you time it well and you angle it well. It stops him in his tracks if it has sufficient power. Just your body can advance. If you've, if you've been kicked to the body by a Muay Thai guy and by some of the powerful kickers in uh, MMA, you know what, what it means like. 
it's it's just you, you go forward and you get a shin slammed into your ribs and that's it you can't advance literally cannot advance due to the impact and a final point why that body kick could have been interesting is that it wouldn't have mattered if he blocked or not if he blocks with his arms it's fine you don't get the ribs you don't get the body but you still make him stop he can't advance his head is still in danger if he would have ignored the kick so even if he tries to block it you, you, you get the you get those two advantages, but at the same time, if you land it consistently, then we get to the point where it's going to beat up his arms, and you might actually injure him with his arms. What's the one thing he needs on the ground? His arms in good condition. So that's what I was hoping Gaethje would do, because he kicks extremely hard for his weight class. He's got really good uh, kicks. Everybody talks about his leg kick, but his body kick's quite good as well. I would have hoped that that was what he was going to do. The leg kick is inherently dangerous against an opponent who wants to shoot forward. Because unless you break the guy's balance completely, he can just take the pain and advance and get to you to take you down. Right. So that's it. That was uh, my thoughts on Khabib versus Geishi and how we, you know, we might have seen somebody beat Khabib at, at a certain point in time. Again, we'll likely never know. But then on the other hand, um, it was fun seeing him. And uh, I, this is just me thinking out loud and, um, you know, trying to figure out a way of uh, how, how somebody could have beaten him. Uh, and again, this is just me talking. You might see things differently. But if you're fighting a guy who is a good grappler, give it a try. See how those body kicks help you or not. The one thing I would say is that you need to have sufficient stopping power and that's uh, what I covered in the first episode of the podcast. You need to have the ability to generate forward pressure. And also you need to retract that leg immediately so he doesn't get caught. Right. So moving on. So the next part is um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the MMA principles that I use. And this one is called quality of impact. Now, quality of impact, a little bit of a bizarre principle because... Um, it's a little bit uh, a contradiction in terms. So first, what does it mean? It means you need to land your techniques always. That is the purpose of striking. You want to land your techniques. They, there has to be an impact. Perfect technique is completely useless if your technique doesn't land. So you can have gorgeous technique that everybody's impressed by, but if you cannot make your fists and feet and elbows and knees land on the guy, it's useless. So you need to be able to land your techniques and miss as, uh, as, as few techniques as possible. But there's a contradiction here, and that contradiction is this. The better your technique is, the better the odds are that you not only land, but you also do damage with it. But the contradiction is that there even a crappy technique that lands well can end the fight and still have you win. And that's the really bizarre thing. And, it's, and especially in MMA, this is very prevalent. So I'll give you an example. Um, MMA is not boxing. And the smaller gloves, they, they radically change how hard some punches can land. Also, the kind of punches that, that are possible and how you defend against them. So if you only look at boxing or Muay Thai techniques to use them in the octagon, I think that's a mistake because they use big gloves. Now, what does that mean? Well, for instance, techniques that you usually don't see in boxing, they, they work fine for MMA or they are typically seen in MMA. 
um, defensive wise what you see is the the blocking that you do against hooking punches you will you'll lift your elbow way way higher because if you don't there is either an opening between your hand and your shoulder that uh, the guy can can get that smaller glove through or he's going to hit you in the hand and again you don't have a big glove on so there's no cushioning so you eat the impact through um through your hand and the impact goes through your head through into your head uh, if if you block it like that like you would see in boxing so that doesn't work typically when you block a hook even a horizontal elbow you will lift up your own elbow really high so that's one example of how techniques can be different now a crappy technique that we often see is that fight happens one guy goes down flash knockdown and the other guy jumps on top of him and just starts raining down these short arm powered punches there's no hip rotation it's just on top of the guy and just uh, hitting from the shoulder only so typically those punches aren't all that hard you don't knock somebody out with them if they are in the beginning of the fight and haven't taken any damage but they do add up if you're already had this you just had that flash knockdown and then this guy just keeps adding these little punches one after the other and eventually you you can't get up anymore or the ref stops you and that is a key point in that if those very rapid succession less than powerful punches make it difficult for the guy to get back into the game to recover and start defending coherently again then the ref will stop it and you win the fight so there the quality of the impact is more than enough to achieve the goal right, let's talk about something else i mentioned khabib his famous eagle punch that people call it that that rising um kind of back fists swinging uppercut straight arm thing it's nothing new. I learned it in, in uh, Chinese martial arts oh, about 30 years ago, actually. Uh, I've seen it in other martial arts as well and variations of it, so it's not necessarily new. It's just a very unorthodox punch that you see you launch, uh, this kind of straight swinging technique upwards from underneath the guy's field of vision. And then you hit with the palm of the hand down uh, while still maintaining your fist closed. So it's, it's hitting at this awkward angle. It is by far by far not the hardest striking technique it also leaves you wide open if the guy sees it coming because you have to start with your arm all the way down but we've seen khabib land it several times and actually stun people with it so once again the quality of the impact is what matters what you need to have is that when you land a technique the quality of the impact needs to be there so it achieves the goal that you have for that technique whether that is setting up another technique, whether that is distracting the guy, whether that is trying to knock him out, or whether it is just adding damage. For instance, at the end of the fight that uh, just engaged it against Tony Ferguson, Tony was pretty banged up. And we saw in that last round they fought that, that several times you could see Justin just throw these really really hard shots at tony and tony would be in trouble but he'd keep fighting but how did the fight end with this with a few quick jabs he launched this really quick jab and it landed perfectly and tony shook his head a little bit and he was uh, obviously not really uh, not really all there anymore justin took another look he stepped forward he threw another quick jab that kind of didn't land fully 
but it landed enough then Tony was turning away and the ref stopped the fight so can Justin hit harder than that with his jab sure but it was hard enough the quality of the impact was there to achieve the goal namely to make Tony get more and more damage and eventually get him to the point where it was too much which is what we got and or get the ref to step in and stop the fight which is what we got so when you practice what you want to have is a balance between being process oriented meaning get good techniques because good techniques will allow you to hit harder hit faster do combinations be more defensive at the same time and so on so being process oriented but also being goal oriented meaning you need to land that technique even if you have to adapt it a little bit and make it a little bit more unconventional for instance you want to throw a straight right hand but the guy's just always just outside of your reach so what do you do instinctively you lean a little bit forward with your upper body now you know this isn't great technique but that's what you need to land that right hand so you adapt the technique slightly making it a little bit less perfect just so you can land it and when it lands it gets the result you want because the, the impact is there so it's finding that balance between those two being using good techniques again the process and then being focused on the goal landing you need both one it's not one or the other you need both if you have both then your techniques will land and you can change that balance a little bit sometimes a little bit more technical sometimes a little bit more less technical i, won't, I don't like to use that term but um, going away from proper technique and, and just what I said earlier in the segment about Whitaker against Cannoneer, when Whitaker likes to do his uh, one-two back leg roundhouse kick, uh, when he uses the half hip, the half hip is typically not how you use the roundhouse kick, especially from the angle that he's at. He's when you watch when the kick lands and and where Robert's upper body is, it's usually in this really awkward position, but he lands it, and it's surprising, and it works. He's, uh, he's knocked people out with it and he's stunned people with it. So it works. The quality of the impact is good enough to get the results, despite the technique not being perfectly done if you just if you are just process-oriented and look at the technical aspects. So you need both and you need to be able to adapt that. So imagine a slider and on the one hand of the scale, you've got perfect technique. And on the other hand of the scale, you've got really crappy technique but if it lands it it gets to it gets to achieve the goal of that technique and then you have to move that slider left or right to find the right balance for any given technique at any given phase of the fight so that's it think about the quality of your impact how you can achieve it and what that means in individual techniques but as always you have to land your technique that is the key point if you don't land the technique, it's useless. Now, yes, yes, I know about feints and setups, not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the techniques that you want to land, need to land. All right, so that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, what we have coming next is, well, we've got UFC Fight Night Hall versus Silva. Um, I'm <laughs> on the fence on that one. Not quite sure if that's a good idea. Silva's... Uh, I think he's 45 now. Hall is in his uh, mid to late 30s, 36, I think. So um, 
quick thoughts. Uh, if Hall wins, then everybody's going to say that you fought Silva when he, when he was old. If Hall loses, everybody's going to say you, you, you lost against this old guy. So I don't see how he, uh, <laughs> how he can come out on top of that one. There will always be complaints. And, and as for Silva, I, I hope, uh, I think he mentioned that this would be his last fight. I hope it is. I, I really don't like to see some of the top fighters, the, the great champions end up in, in, in a position where they do fights when they uh, are too, basically too old. And it's me at 48 saying that they're basically too old to compete with guys who are much younger. Um, there's a time to come and go. And, uh, I think that one, the time is here for Silva. So I hope that fight goes well and that, uh, we don't regret watching it. And then uh, the week after is UFC fight night, Santos versus Tex Texera. Santos, in my opinion, should be able to win that, but we'll see after his surgery, um, that he had, uh, see how, how his knee is doing. Uh, I, I was really impressed that at first how he handled John Jones when they fought. But um, obviously, then he had that very early on the knee injury. So we'll see if he's fully recovered and uh, and, and give us a good fight against Texera. And then also next episode, I'll talk a little bit more about basics and principles. And if you guys have questions, go to the Facebook page. Again, the link the link is in the show notes, and and you can ask me questions there. So I, um, I'm more than happy to do Q and A as well. Right, guys, that's it. That's it for episode two. Again, all the links in the show notes. Um, again, go to the Patreon if you wanna uh, if you wanna help us out a little bit and like, share, subscribe. Join me on social media. Post some stuff there pretty much uh, every few days at the latest. So um, follow me there as well. And I will talk to you guys next time. Take care. Keep on training. Bye. Thanks for listening to the MMA Formula Podcast. For more information, go to www.mmaformula.com.